Hello, welcome back to General Chat. This week's guest is Thornbrow, co-host of Lagging Balls, a Blizzard-based podcast. This interview was so fun for me. Thorn is genuinely funny and easy to talk to. It felt like having a conversation with an old friend who I'd known for many, many years. We talk about community. We talk about growing up across the country and what that meant for the different stages of fandom in our life. So I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Here we go! Hey Thorin, I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you so much, I'm so glad to be here. I've gotta be honest and say that I've been wanting more photos of that ridiculously cute kitten you rescued recently i've been like scrolling through your twitter being like there's only two pictures what am i gonna do to get my kitten feed before we like get into the game stuff can you tell me more about that adorable little rescue okay um first of all uh i don't want to toot my own horn here but i'm gonna do it in a big way so prepare yourself this little kitten her name is kiki by the way um she's a little black cat and um, the reason I'm tuning my own horn is because when you say rescue, I mean that in the very literal sense because I was driving to work and uh, just found this tiny kitten uh, crossing a, a, you know, those kinds of streets that are really more like highways. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it was one of those. It had a concrete divider in between the the traffic going both ways. Um, it is described as Highway 1 in New Jersey. Um, and it just randomly out of nowhere just this streak of a little black cat and right into traffic and i don't i could not tell you how she did not get completely squished but i pulled over as fast as i possibly could and went running out after her because there's no way that's happening on my watch so did she try to run away from you or did she come right into your heroic arms at the first uh, sign of you what happened she absolutely ran away um which i can't blame her for uh, and when I did nab her, she bit me uh, really well. <laughs> oh, aww. So she's a house panther, a little black cat. Oh, does that name come from anything specifically? Are you a Miyazaki fan? Is that where Kiki comes from? Or what's that from? Sure does indeed. And I heard Lily's a fan of those, so she'd be familiar. She is, yes. We watch the Miyazaki films all the time. So does that mean you're a Studio Ghibli fan? It does, but um, an amateur one. I've only gotten into them um, within the past couple of years, and I've definitely not seen them all yet. Um, but I've been very, very happy that some of the local theaters have been doing, or I should say some of the theater chains have been doing the resurgence of showing them in the theaters. But yes, her name is from Kiki's Delivery Service. And the reason um, that she's named Kiki instead of Gigi, which is actually the little black cat from that movie, is because we already have a black cat named Gigi. <laughs> Oh, perfect, because I'm sure someone would have come in the comments and been like, ah, the black cat's name is Gigi, actually, and it probably <laughs> would have been Lily, so. <laughs> Fair. They'd be right. <laughs> now, if you're a Studio Ghibli fan, are you also an anime fan? Have you checked out any of that nerdy shit? I have just started getting into some of that also very recently. Um, so I, I actually decided to do that during the summer between high school and college and only got as far as watching Akira. So I, I know I started in a good place um, because of what a classic that is, but I did not really go too far down that path. I think I watched um, Ghost in the Machine and 
uh, a few other of the kind of classics and um, critically acclaimed that were available. I want to say even it might have even been at a, at a video store at the time. It might have been that far back. That's how old I am. Woohoo! So uh, um, then, you know, college happened and I um, got into all kinds of other things I shouldn't have been into instead and uh, took a long break from that and didn't pick it back up until uh, a couple of years ago. So I've just started getting into um, some other things that are more readily available that are, you know, I, I got to say Netflix is actually fairly impressive in what it has available. Yeah, Netflix is actually impressive. When Netflix first became available online, like as a thing online you could stream, the anime selection was very much like uh, American-based cartoons or American-based animation. And yeah. now they've really got a gambit on everything. And, and they're making their own beautiful stuff. Castlevania, oh my god. Ooh, I haven't seen that yet. Highly recommended. Anyone who hasn't seen it, it's amazing. The animation's beautiful. The storyline is good. I think there's only four or six episodes in the first season, and that is a tragedy because it just grips you and reels you in. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, I think I have that in my in my list on Netflix, um, but I haven't touched it yet. I recently started Death Note. Um, I'm most of the way through season one of Attack on Titan. Um, so a few, you know, but like, you know, the... Any any real anime fans listening to this are going to be like, oh, look at this noob, because, you know, I'm not very far into kind of anything here. But I did watch the um, they have a Godzilla Planet of the Monsters, um, which only has one episode on. And I didn't realize that. And it was really good. So looking forward to more of that, too. Oh, no, that's the worst. When you start a show and it's like, oh, this was the only season they ever made. And you're just like, why? This changed my life. <laughs> exactly. Like Firefly. <laughs> Oh, ow. I'm sorry I even brought it up. <laughs> it's okay. I'll just have a nice private cry later about it. It's fine. Just hold it in. Oh, it's fine. I'll just keep floating along like a leaf on the wind. Ah! Uh, ah! Uh. <laughs> Becoming a anime and Studio Ghibli nerd later in life, was this kind of a theme? Did you become just a general nerd later in life? Or were you just a different kind of nerd earlier on? Lay it out for me. Sure. Um, I, I grew up an army brat. So my parents were both enlisted army soldiers. And so we moved all over the US. Um, and I've lived in nearly every region. And as part of that, um, I'm not sure if chameleon is really the right term. But it, what I'm getting at is I, I learned how to adapt and be comfortable in, you know, a lot of different situations and with lots of different types of people. And throughout you know, certain times of my life. Um, when I was much younger, I got into uh, comic books in a big way. You know, for a certain amount of time, um, there was a period where I played Magic the Gathering. Um, there was a period when I was much younger where I played video games, but then I I stopped playing video games. Um, I think I want to say even something like Nintendo 64 is as far as I got. And then I kind of stepped outside of that um, and didn't pick it back up again until the latter days of the Nintendo Wii. And then I started playing World of Warcraft. So the elements have been there. My friends have always been the nerdiest, geekiest ones. Um, but I'm not sure that I was in one place for long enough to really kind of go down the rabbit hole on too many of those things. So I, I kind of, 
skimmed the surface on a lot of different things throughout growing up. And I was always drawn to, you know, the geeky nerdy stuff. And, uh, but there's still so many things, you know, even having at least limited exposure, there's still so many things that I only am just barely getting to, um, in adulthood. I'm in my thirties now and I, I'm just doing my first D and D campaign now. That inspires me to try something that I haven't done on this podcast before, but that I think is uniquely going to work well with you. Okay. Because I was a Navy brat. My dad was in the Navy and we moved around a lot as well. Hey. <laughs> you know my pain. <laughs> Except for me, it taught me to be awkward in every situation. I don't know how that worked out. You got confident and I got... <laughs> Well, I should say I, I, I leaned toward theater in college. So I think a lot of that is very much fake. <laughs> I just learned how to fake it really well. Hey, the theater kids were the cool kids. Yeah, only compared to some. <laughs> <laughs> what I was thinking is I have a couple of very distinct memories. For instance, when we were stationed in San Diego, I know that I got into Castlevania around that time playing Pokemon cards and I was very much like a video game nerd at that point. On my own, I didn't have like a circle of geeky friends. When I moved and we went to Pennsylvania, I was very much like a Harry Potter and like literature Doctor who nerd. And I was thinking maybe we could go like each period of your life and tell me like what was your thing at that time. Sure. That's, oh, that's really interesting. What is the first place that you remember really having this thing that you were deep into and passionate about? Okay, let's see. I want to say it was around first grade or something like that. Pretty early on, it might have been kindergarten, first grade-ish, uh, I think is when I got my first like original Nintendo. And most people got the Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt pack. Um, for whatever reason, I got the Super Mario Brothers and Gyromite pack. <laughs> and m there's a there's this percentage of people out there who might know what that is. But in essence, it's like a puzzle game where there's kind of this old scientist guy and you have to direct him through these levels that are basically levels of his laboratory that has gone awry. And it's a, you know, the old controller has an A and a B button. That's it. So A was like the the red columns that you would move and B was the blue columns. And every, every one of these um, levels was basically a, a, a new type of puzzle about how to get this guy who never stopped walking in one direction until he hit a wall or, or something like that. And then he would just turn around and change direction, how to get him through that whole level. So doing something like that, I think at a pretty early age, was something that that intrigued me, I think, more than a lot of other kids my age. So I wasn't really playing that with anybody. Um, and at the time, it was one of those situations like kind of how you described, where we had just moved someplace new. Um, I was actually splitting time during that era between living with my grandmother in L.A. and... Um, uh, and then visiting with my mom, who was stationed in Oceanside, California at the time. So I would be there with her on the weekends and sometimes for extended weekends or longer weekends. And I just had a lot of time to fill. So I was playing a lot of that. I, for one, have never heard of that game, but it sounds like the mystery puzzle element was really intriguing to you. And at that young age, that's very interesting. Yeah, it seems like the kind of story that somebody really, really smart would tell. But I did not end up that way. <laughs> I wonder if it's something about that 
gratification of figuring out a puzzle and having like an objective like yes I put a lot of time and effort into this thing and figured it out that is really like intriguing to the young brain because I know Lily really enjoys that's my daughter really enjoys playing Minecraft and she loves building things and like figuring out how to put particular things together and I think there's just something that like tickles the brain at that age that's so cool. And I think Minecraft is an absolutely, I'm not into it personally, but I love, love, love that it's out there. And um, I actually read an article about that. I'll come back to that in a moment because I just wanted to say, I think that it's so awesome that it's become such a thing, especially for younger players, because it's, I, I just feel like there's so, there's such a wealth of lessons to be learned from that game it's got a wealth of creative potential you can make literally anything there's the basics for creating an electric current there's all these different options of what you can make glass and and patterns and enchanting and portals to other worlds and i think that just like digs into that creative part of the child's and adult's brain you were starting to say that you'd written something about Minecraft? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't write it. I, I, I saw an article. I want to say it was in Adweek. Um, there was this really cool story um, about a, an organization. And I forget which, so I apologize. Basically, they enlisted Minecraft players to create shapes for uh, the basis of building new coral reefs. So the, you know, the, the issue in the oceans, one of the issues in the oceans that we are causing... Um, with our presence here uh, as humans is that we're killing off a lot of the coral reefs, um, which has, you know, a compounding effect on the ocean's health and, um, and, and land lands health for that matter, especially because th those serve as a lot of barriers to uh, all kinds of things. Anyway, the point is coral reefs are important. <laughs> so an, an organization that was looking to create new uh, seeds for new coral reefs, um, basically to, um, to, to bolster, um, the biosphere, if you will, underwater in certain areas that are ripe for uh, reefs to flourish. Um, they wanted to put structures there as kind of the start. And so they enlisted a bunch of Minecraft players. And I mean, young kids, uh, kids from school. I think they enlisted a bunch of schools to see who was playing it and who wanted to participate. And they had all these kids um, build structures and submit them for this competition. Then they chose winners, actually built the things and went and put them in the ocean. Those exist now. Yes, yeah, so I went and found that article that you were talking about, and it was on Adweek, and I'll put it in the notes for you guys to check out because there's this really cool video where you can see these artificial reefs being built. And that's something that I think really speaks to not only this particular game, because I think it's it's grown past its base game, which was something that was like, you know, a fun building block game, kind of survival, pixely game that was just kind of simple at its base into something that is so much more yeah. through the creativity of its users. Which is just a beautiful thing. It is beautiful. It, and I've seen, I'm not exaggerating, this is a real thing that I've seen. In the area that I used to live, I would pass it every day on my way home and like, Lily well, wasn't old enough for it yet, but it's very intriguing. But it was a Minecraft like class like day camp thing that you could send your kids to like in the summer or on the weekends and it combined minecraft and robotics oh my and god i thought that was very interesting that's spectacular i know it seems like it's really cool i want to go to that as an adult <laughs> so what was what was your youngest 
geeky memory. What's the thing that you got into first where you, you noticed that you were into the other side? Oh boy, turning this interview around on the interviewer, huh? I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm so curious. It's such a good question. I actually started with Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Wow. Yes, so my dad came home with a PS1, and I'm actually not sure if it was a PS1 or a PSX, because I remember it looking like a little bit different from what I remember a PS1 being, but every time I look it up, I get conflicting reports, but he brought <laughs> home this thing to play DVDs on, right? And it came with a couple of games, and the one that I remember the most is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. That's amazing. What a great start. And well, what I'll say is that going back as an adult and trying to play that game again after playing it so much as a child and like having all these memories of doing all these things, I went back to play it as an adult a couple years ago and it is hard. That game is hard. <laughs> it's funny how you look back at those things and you're like, how did I deal with, with so much failure? <laughs> I just don't think they make games that difficult these days. Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed your conversation with Kiki Bunny about that. Um, because first of all, I absolutely love Kiki Bunny. She's so great. Um, so I love that you guys are friends because I didn't know that. That made me very happy. Um, but yeah, I really liked that you guys were talking about that. And I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. They, there really is. You mentioned that there's a lot of handholding, right? Yes, absolutely. And Kiki Bunny is great. Thank you. But there is, there's that level of like, you start out in any MMO, right? And you have a whole zone of tutorials and you start out in any game and it's like, do this and do that. And you have to like, learn how to do all this stuff. And back quote unquote, in the day, <laughs> you had all of these guidebooks or the little you know that little sleeve that came in the dvd case oh i'm sounding like an old person my back is starting to hurt now <laughs> my hair is turning gray used to love those by the way si funny side story about that um the day that i got echo the dolphin for the sega genesis it was a long drive home and i pulled that sleeve out and i read that whole booklet from cover to cover and i was so incredibly stoked to play it oh my god echo Oh, that's amazing. I first ran into Echo at MAGFest, which is a video game convention that's local to my area, to the DC area. And I ran into that a couple years ago and I was like, I cannot believe this is a game. And to hear that you've played it is amazing. I gotta say, played it, but did not get very far because that is right along with what you were saying before in terms of just how hard some of those old games are. I want to say I got four or five um, levels into that game and never got any further without um, without the uh, the code. You know, they, they would give you a code at the end of each level so that you could get back to that that point. And uh, one day I sat down and just started putting in a bunch of words from the game. And, and it, <laughs> it turned out that some of them were codes for some of the, uh, the levels. So I got to further levels just by guessing codes, but not by actually earning my way there through merit. <laughs> that is the true spirit of a gamer. That's fantastic. <laughs> Good, because I thought you were going to call it cheating. <laughs> hey, if it works, it's not cheating. <laughs> I think that a lot of the reason that some of those games are a lot harder is because they just didn't have the capacity to handhold in a way that they do today. For instance, you didn't have the ability to do a lot of things you could do today like the different camera angles you can't do that they didn't have mods you can't you couldn't have done that back in the day there was a limited range of motion range of animation and range of view that just 
happenstancely. Is that a word? We're going to say it's it a is word. Now. <laughs> just made it a bit harder. And I don't think that was the intent, but now that we have all this fancy new technology, things are a bit easier for us. Yeah, which is funny because there's so many reasons why that might be the case, right? That's you, you touch upon a key one right there. Um, I and I, I never even thought of that layer of it. My my initial thought was that uh, the games just do so much more that they have to walk you through it, or you're never going to find. Or I guess I, what I should say is maybe the casual gamer, or maybe even most people, just wouldn't find all these things that exist: the combos, the um, you know what the what the third trigger on the freaking controller does. I I I, I I'm speaking in jest because I'm a I'm a PC gamer, PC master race. Um, but whenever I do touch on uh, somebody else's controllers, wow, that sounded really wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's just so many more buttons, right? I was just describing the original Nintendo. Um, the N64, you know, was one of those one of the first to kind of put that the joystick in a strange place. And give you a trigger and things like that, uh, and then it's just—it seems like it's just gone up from there. There's, you know, dual triggers on on controllers now, and and multiple joysticks, and um, that's just that stuff is stuff that came after my time, so I'm not as familiar with it. So, for example, I'm a I'm an okay Overwatch player on PC. I'd say I'm I'm pretty decent. I'm okay. I wouldn't say I'm any sort of master. But you put me on a console, and I can't I can't even stop aiming at the floor oh boy you, you gotta you know you just gotta press the d-pad my man <laughs> i hope that's the case because i am also a uh pc person so roast me if you must console <laughs> players well let's bring it on back to the next phase in your life so you mentioned comics or magic the gathering what was the next thing that came for you yeah um let's see um it during uh, okay so on in one of the um, army bases that we lived on uh, this was was actually Fort Cotton in um, Queens New York um, I had some really good friends who were big into comic books and I mean huge into it so um, there were three brothers they were kind of like a couple years apart each they all had their own comic book collections their father was a huge comic collector they had an entire room in their house devoted to the whole thing the real deal so they got me into comics in a big way. Um, opened my eyes to a whole lot of what was going on. I started picking favorites because before that, I I had interest in comics and I had picked them up myself um, kind of casually here and there. Um, as cliche as it is, I was a huge Superman fan. Um, not not the kind who collected everything and had all the had all the issues and had all the rares and and knew everything about everything. I was just a big big fan, and it was both from the mindset and idealism side as well as the the art side and the um and the the stories that I was just starting to get into my only problem with comics was that I I could never get a full story I wasn't I wasn't consistent enough in buying comics that I would kind of you know get come full circle and get the entire story and that was one of the things that frustrated me about comics as much as I love them I just felt like I was only getting this little snippet, you know, it was like, it was like getting one episode of an entire series. So once I met these, these guys, um, and their father and everything like that, they introduced me to trade paperbacks, which as, as much as any comic book fan would know that that exists, I did not know those existed until this point. This is like grade school. Um, and so I was introduced to those and I would say, and I was, I was just amazed that I could sit down and read an entire story arc and get it kind of all in one sitting 
Uh, and that just really opened the world up to me. So that was uh, fourth through sixth grade-ish. Fourth, fourth grade through middle school, basically. Well, and I think you hit on a really good point there about comics because I, that's where I am with actual physical comics. I love web comics because they're so easily accessible. A lot of them are, you know, free or you support via ad revenue or Patreon, uh, which, you know, Patreon is fantastic. If you have a web comic you love, support it on Patreon. You're doing the God's work. Love that. But with actual bound paper comics, anytime I go into a comic book store and I see just like an issue of something that I think looks interesting, I'm just like, well, is there a collections version of this? Sure, the collections will be $60, but like just picking up one or two of something and never knowing when I'm going to get back to a comic book store or when I might be able to grab the next edition is so frustrating because yeah. you go through, you, you breeze through a comic book in moments. It's true, yeah. Um, so much so that a lot of times I'll go, I'll, I'll figure out that I was too engrossed in the story and didn't fully take in the, the art. So a lot of times I'll go back and just page back through and take my time to just really take in the art. That's a really good, a really good thought. I know some people that make web comics and sometimes they will post specific panels that they've made and they'll go, you know, the, the story might be interesting right now, but I just want to point out, you know, this thing that I'm particularly proud of. And a lot of times I find myself going, oh, I was just, you know, breezing through on the dialogue and the action. You don't notice those beautiful moments of like artistry. Yeah. So that's the cool thing about comics, right? It's words and art combining to make this beautiful evocation of emotion. Ooh, well put. Oh, thank you. Do you follow any comics these days? I don't. Um, instead, I have a I have a friend at work um, who is he's got to be pushing sixty years old. I want to say, um, but he's way into comics, and I mean the kind of guy who's been into comics for like thirty years. I apologize if you're hearing my kitten in the background. <laughs> Hi, Kiki. <laughs> she is insisting on being on the show, apparently. Um, but he and I will just trade. Um, that's a bad word. Um, he and I will exchange trade paperbacks from time to time. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He's uh, he since he knows so much, he'll you know he's he's always introducing me to things that um you know I, I wouldn't be aware of or would be outside of the realm of something that i would normally choose um so it's great that i'm you know getting exposure to other things and then from my perspective um usually what i bring him he's already aware of um but uh you know once in a while i have something that he hasn't and then i feel extra uh, accomplished <laughs> yeah that's gotta be good you're like coming the expert with something new and fancy yeah so after comics is that when you got into magic the comics thing, um, that was the period that I was kind of heavy into them. And then it started to taper off a little bit and kind of went back to where it was before with just, um, you know, middle school and shortly thereafter, you don't, you don't have a whole lot of cash flow going. So it was just kind of whatever my parents were willing to, <laughs> to buy me when I would get my hands on something. And then it wasn't until, uh, so I, I still had gaming going on the side um, on consoles. And I want to say throughout this period, it was moving into things like Super Nintendo and then into Sega Genesis um, and then into Nintendo 64. Um, so I was heavy into that stuff. 
as I got into high school, that's when I picked up Magic, Magic the Gathering. Because I actually went to a boarding school for high school, so I had a lot of time. Is there any one game in particular that sticks out from that time period prior to high school? You know, between comics and middle school and then getting into Magic in high school when you had a little bit more of a cash flow to feed that sweet, sweet pack opening addiction? <laughs> um... Let me think here. Um, well, GoldenEye 007 for N64 was a huge one. It's the, it was actually kind of, believe it or not, the one and only shooter I ever played um, before uh, ever uh, until Overwatch again. That one is a classic. I don't blame you for being into into it. It combines all the stealth and fun uh, aspects of being a spy with the ease. Uh, how do I say this? It's not easy ability because that's not a word. I keep putting ability on words, and that <laughs> is not how it goes. Um, uh, accessibility. Accessibility, ease of play of a first of a uh, shooter type game. I think it combines some of those elements for a fun kind of sneaky shooty experience. <laughs> sneaky shooty, I like it. Well, when you started playing Magic: the Gathering in high school, what were the elements that drew you into Magic? What did you enjoy about it? For the most part, it was the camaraderie with other nerds because uh, it was only the nerdiest, geekiest of us who, um, you know, again, this is a, a boarding school setting. So this was something where we'd have to go out to the outside world during breaks or vacations or summer vacation or whatever and procure these things from the outside world and then bring them back and then build our decks and play against each other and test things and all, you know, so um, it was a little bit of the, I don't know, maybe some of the elements of like the whole intrigue of, of puzzle making and uh, puzzle solving from um, what I referred to back from the, um, the original Nintendo conversation and paired with, you know, other people who were interested in that. So you were starting to get some of that, nerd community feel absolutely those were kind of the first um I, I think definitely the first time that i recognized it because the the camaraderie of of the old comic book friends i didn't realize what i had at that time i had a, a little clubhouse of of comic geeks and that was just awesome and i didn't realize kind of i never defined that for myself and in high school it was very clear because high school is a time of clicks and groups and things like that um so you kind of tend to pay attention to some of those things you know what what groups do i belong to what um what interests do i align with on on what types of people mm, that is very true i think that actually huh i think that's just clicking for me because i think that also happened for me and that i really came into like having my nerdy community some of whom i'm still very much in touch with from high school even though I've been playing Pokemon cards and video games since I was, you know, in first grade. I, there was just never, it was never a thing. It was That's just awesome. normal. Yeah, it was just normal until high school, right? Until you're going, oh, I guess I'm this thing. I'm like a nerd now and this is my group of people. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting to hear that with the boarding school experience, you had to wait until some sort of break to go out and to like re-enter the meta and to buy new card packs and to like squirrel them away and open them in secret and mm, the crinkling of the cellophane. 
It really was alluring, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I I think that's my favorite part of Magic the Gathering. You know, F all the rest. Deck building, that's pretty cool. But, like, just opening packs and just getting that feeling of, like, oh, cool, I got all these things and I can sell this or I can trade this or, like, oh, look at this beautiful card art. Like, I think that, yes. for me, is such a fun feeling. Yeah, and that's that's one of the other things about it was um, there were elements throughout books I'd read, experiences I'd had. Magic the Gathering was definitely a deep dive into the fantastical and the realm of fantasy. And the, you know, you don't have to be any part of any part of, you don't have to be any part of the community at all of geekdom, if you will, to understand just how, I guess, um, very specifically geeky, um, something like Magic the Gathering is. <laughs> it's very much the thing that the, that the dorkiest of the dorks would play off on the side of the playground or whatever, um, while other quote unquote normal kids were doing quote unquote normal things. You know what I mean? Hey, I mean, you could have been playing like, uh, I don't know, Beyblades or something. <laughs> I think it's funny that you bring that up as the example because I only just learned what that was like a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> And it's mostly from memes. I, le I learned what Beyblades were from memes. Oh, that's fantastic. Beyblades, uh, they're making a return. My little cousin, who's like eight, I want to say, got Beyblades for his birthday. Score. I know. Very cool. After this Magic the Gathering high school moment in your life, it's kind of pivotal. Oh, this is who I am. And who I am is this, you know, geeky person and... I enjoy these things and whether or not, you know, I embrace them or I'm embarrassed by them, as was my case, that's who you were developing into. After that pivotal moment, those pivotal years, you went to college and you said you didn't do the video game thing for a while because you were doing other things, which we will glaze right over. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> after getting back into video games what was your what was your re-entry the first was um it was still in college actually because i forgot about this when we were talking through it before um the first re-entry into it was um my roommate sophomore year had uh, a computer of his own which i didn't have and at one point he got the sims on it oh boy and like the original sims and you know i'd i'd heard of SimCity. i never really played that but i was familiar with the the concept and everything like that and i don't remember if sims was new at the time or I, I don't really recall but it was the era before the subsequent versions of the sims came out sims 2 etc so um i think only the original sims was out at the time i played it on his computer and that's the first time that i dove into a game and um, and then five minutes later, the sun was coming up. Do you think that that transitioned into playing WoW and then looking up and five minutes later, the sun coming up? I mean, absolutely. Um, but there was another big break between those things for me. Please do elaborate. Well, I just, I just mean, um, you know, college was when I was playing the Sims, but that's really the only game that was really kind of around at the time. Um, and I was involved in so many things. So the, the piece that I'm leaving out 
is again back to the the version of growing up as an army brat or i guess i should just to be clear as a military child much as you were the other side for me and the part that i that i am glad about from my end was that i was I was very much a part of a lot of different groups of people. And so, you know, it, depending on where I was living at the time, because um, certain certain settings were harsher or more difficult than others. Um, but for the most part, I, I tended to be the, the kid who got along with every group. So I was just as much friend. I, I tended to be closer to the geeky, nerdy groups, um, but I was totally friendly and on good terms with most of the other groups as well. Um, the only ones that I didn't tend to associate with too heavily were the jocks. If there were those groups in certain places, just because I didn't have that much in common with them. Being a person whose parents are in the military and who has to move around every six months or not every six months, every couple of years, every five years, as it was for me, I think you do learn to get along with everyone because as awkward and um weird as i was as a child and an adult <laughs> i i still had friends with every friend group i didn't really fit in with just one friend group so that's yeah. interesting to hear yeah i i can see that being the thing that's kind of common among a lot of us um and it you know it's It'd be great to say like, oh yeah, I did that, but no, that's just what <laughs> that's just what I was exposed to, and that's kind of how it worked out. And I'm I gotta say, I was probably pretty lucky. It's probably one of the best, most positive things that came out of that life situation. I think so. And now we can start a club and just be like, one of us, one, <laughs> one of, of us. us. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, so I you know I I played The Sims. I I got hooked on it you know, for maybe a couple of weeks and I, I would come back to it from time to time, that sort of thing and find myself, you know, would find the sun coming up again. Um, because this is college and you can do those sorts of things to your body without paying the heavy, heavy price that you do as an adult. <laughs> but, uh, um, I would touch on that from time to time, but for the most part, I was doing so many other things from school itself to other extracurricular activities. I was involved in student leadership. Um, I was involved in some sports. Like it was just, I was all over the place. Um, and, and then when I went into the working world, um, that's when I started to kind of dabble in more of internet culture. So I switched over less to less gaming and more just the, the nuances and the, the, I don't know if it's really like the beginnings, I guess, you know, the early days of internet culture. So like, for example, I've been a Redditor for 10 years. I just got my 10 year anniversary this year and i'm like way more proud of that than i should be <laughs> but this um you know at the beginning of my career i remember taking lunch breaks in my very first job and playing in the uh yahoo games um forums oh my goodness no one remembers the yahoo forums they used to have games oh they would have music everything so much a funny funny story from that so the the main thing that I played on uh, on the Yahoo Games uh, forums, I guess, if, um, was chess um, because I was a big chess fan. Um, I played a lot of chess, and I guess you know, come to think of it, that's kind of the biggest nerdiest outlet that I had um, because a a big group of my friends were also all into chess as well. Yes, absolutely. Chess counts as nerdiness. It's a board game after all. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I didn't even think of that. So. Um, 
lots of that went on. We would all chill um, and um, play lots of that, you know, um, throughout college, um, especially like the the latter two years of college. Um, so then, you know, when I became a professional, um, you know, the easiest way to find somebody to play with, like especially like on a lunch break or something in the middle of the day, it was, um, uh, you know, a, the Yahoo games. So funny story about that. I'm I'm in a match in the middle of the day um and um it's one of those matches where I decide to try something completely different and I move I, I don't know a, I forget something something strange like I move a knight out first or something like that and I get beat in something like 3 4 5 moves like just completely destroyed like one of those perfect situations where you can only pull that on somebody if they're dumb enough to make one of those opening moves like I did <laughs> So, you know, that's why that's how you find out. Don't ever do that. Whatever. So that's not the funny part of the story, because um, shortly thereafter, since there's a chat feature um, in the the game um, window itself, you, know, you can talk to the other person you're playing against. And that was kind of part of the fun of it. And so I'm, I'm talking with this person. We're joking about how, you know, I'll never do that again and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, um, and we get to talking and whatever. And, you know, half an hour later or something like probably less than that, 15 minutes later or something like that, they're like, so you want a cyber? <laughs> and I was like, Yahoo Games? What the? <laughs> no. I'm sorry. That was probably so loud for anyone listening, but like, <laughs> that was just my literal gen genuine reaction to hearing that word again. Right? When was the last time you heard that at all? <laughs> I don't know. Probably when I hung out on like anime.com, like in oh, the man. forum. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so uh, that was random. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I hit my partner with that the other day. I hit them with that good old ASL. Nice. <laughs> That's when you know it's going down. <laughs> when they want to know your age, your sex, and your location, ooh, it's on. Like, I don't know. That's very personal. <laughs> oh, man. So you were playing chess on your lunch breaks. You were <laughs> getting into the, the real world, getting into some of the hardcore side of chess that you didn't know existed. <laughs> yeah, that's um, one way to put it. <laughs> um, so you were doing all these different things and moving away from, you know, your college life, you're growing up a little bit. Is this when you were getting into WoW? What brought you into this world? Well, uh, I think, you know, before WoW was the Nintendo Wii came out and I thought, what an interesting concept, uh, you know, motion, um, motion controlled things. I, I was at a point in my life where kind of a, a big falling out had happened with a group of friends. Um, so I was in, I was in Chicago at the time and I think I'd only been there, I want to say four or five years Maybe it was even three or four years at the time. So I'd built up this very, very close-knit friend group. And then there was this giant falling out. Um, and it all split up in kind of one fell swoop. And so suddenly I didn't have much of a social life out of, out of kind of nowhere. Um, and the Wii had come out and I'd been meaning to get one anyway. Um, my significant other at the time was interested in it as well. So I procured one and um, started playing and realized just like, oh man, I missed this. The, the whole gaming thing, I just, 
where, where have you been all my life kind of thing, you know? Ooh, the sweet, sweet allure of having instant gratification. <laughs> exactly. Well put. And then, you know, this was kind of the beginnings of it, but they were they were trying to... The, the Nintendo Wii, I think... Don't quote me on this, but I think it's right around when they started kind of the the customization thing with your account. Make make your own... Uh, I think they were called Miis, which was real clever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there was that like whole customize this. This is like kind of my account. Um, I hadn't... I hadn't really, I don't know if that existed before that era in console gaming because I was out of it uh, for a period there. Um, so, uh, but I, I was intrigued by that. I was intrigued by being able to add all my friends um, so I could have like basically the equivalent of their gamer tag um, for Nintendo. And then I could see when they were kind of online and what they were playing and things like that. And that started to kind of build a, a sense of community around gaming. Um, and I was definitely not thinking of it in those terms at, at the time. So I got into the Wii and started playing, um, you know, some of the things that are probably, well, I don't know if I want to say iconic about the Wii, but um, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess was the thing that I played absolutely hands down the most on the Wii. Ooh. And I absolutely fell in love with that game. The, the storytelling, the art, um, the, the puzzles, like it just the soundtrack uh, oh my god it's it's to this day i i will put on the soundtrack to that game and work to it well tell me about it tell me because i never had a wii i don't know what this game is i don't know the experience about it what was the experience of that game that drew you in well for me again it was the first time it was my my first foray back into gaming after ages um so i went with something familiar which was nintendo and then Within Nintendo, I got a number of games, obviously, with the Wii. But one of them that I was really looking forward to was the, you know, kind of the latest and greatest of, you know, the big IPs. And Zelda being one of them, um, which I definitely loved and enjoyed when I was younger, but I was never very good at. And, you know, so those games just have a, you know, they have a reputation for being long tail games with, you know, um, a lot of problems to solve, puzzles to solve, if you will. Um, you know, they're really in-depth. It takes a lot to get through those. Um, and you know, I was fortunate to have one of those old school shiny gold Nintendo cartridges. That's probably like worth money at this point, if I would have still had it, uh, for the original <laughs> Nintendo. Um, but I just like for all the time I put into it, I, I don't think I ever got very far Now, to be fair. I was pretty young, but like, I'm obviously not a game prodigy, <laughs> so I didn't get very far. You, you talk about still playing that soundtrack. You talk about, you know, the puzzles and and things like that and when you're describing it there's just this lightness in your voice like a clear love for that game and i want to know like what were the things about it like was it the story was there a particular mechanic that you loved like where's that passion coming from absolutely i uh had played a number of different games on the wii um prior to to finding the zelda game and a lot of the motion based actions in these games felt a little forced or was maybe a little shoehorned in um in some cases i found out later on that sometimes the game had been made otherwise or existed previously and then they shoehorned in um some motion to it just because of the wii um so some of it i was kind of rather unimpressed by but when it came to um to this zelda game twilight princess um that's the first game where 
the Wii motion was involved in a heavy way. You literally swung the wand to swing your sword. And there was something about that that just, it's a simple motion, um, but you have to time it correctly. And, you know, there's there's a lot of things to it. Uh, and then there was a lot of uh, coordination between the wand hand and the non-wand hand that had the um, the joystick and, I think, trigger, I want to say, on the other hand. So um, it was a it was a different way of interacting with a game and I feel like for whatever reason I was it, it just it made a lot of sense to me so I was good at it um, and whenever you're good at a game that obviously tends to be a, a thing that you know kind of draws you to it because you can be successful at it um, but Zelda games are not easy games so I poured hours and hours and hour, hours like wow level hours into this game and that I think is part of the reason why I know the soundtrack so well and it's just like kind of burned into me when you when you play any of these games for hours on end you know the soundtracks really they, they, they become a part of you in a way and for this it was a mixture of the gameplay the art uh the soundtrack and, and just i think i was playing this in my like early to mid 20s there was a there was already a sense of nostalgia even at that age because it was a it was a property, a gaming property that I'd played, you know, as a child. So I think that's the thing with music and video games. You play something for hours on end and hearing that music brings back the emotion of failure or of joy, of victory, of finally defeating that one puzzle or that boss or collecting all, you know, 900 sky shards or whatever. Like, yeah. You know, that that feeling of like, yes, I did it. Or, ooh, this was playing when I like couldn't beat that one boss just because, you know, he kept getting me with this one lava move or the spiky shell or whatever. It's like you feel those feelings all over again. And I think that's kind of the magic of video games is like you're doing work. You're exercising your brain to figure out this challenge that's placed in front of you. And then when you figure it out, you have this rush of endorphins because you did it. You achieved something. Yay, go you. Did you're it. the best. You're the champion of Azeroth or, you know, the savior of Hyrule <laughs> or whatnot. And it's like, yeah, I am that. I'm that ass. And I think that's kind of what motivates people to go to these video game concerts right where you go yes. and listen to video game music people love those i think it's that feeling that good feeling of yeah i did it speaking of if you're a fan of the zelda series at all and the um legend of zelda symphony of the goddesses comes through your town highly highly recommended so you've been i have when i lived in chicago i actually used to write for a website um so they would send me uh, to you know few and far between geeky events that they had in town uh, and one of them was that concert so i got box seats of all things just procured by the uh by them i, I want to call it a media outlet but it was really just more of a website that produced a lot of content and you know for whatever reason they decided to give us really good seats and so i got to be really close and just soak it all in and it was absolutely gorgeous so something like that comes through my town because I live near DC, so something like that comes through, I would say, at least once a year. I haven't been yet, and I kind of want to take my husband because he's been, he's very much into the Zelda franchise. That was never my thing. Uh, I, I was into um, 
Pokemon on the Nintendo Spectrum, nice. but it sounds like it would be amazing. Well, there's something called a video game. Oh, no. Now I've lost the name of the. I will remember the name. There's a <laughs> uh, there's a there's a concert of that, that span a lot of different types of video games. And it's pretty rocking and it's pretty awesome. And it just is kind of like universally loved. I'll find the name and I'll let you know just in case it comes through. Yes, absolutely. Do you know what I would really love to see? And I think you might like this as well. What? A performance at BlizzCon of like an orchestral performance of the beautiful music of Blizzard. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because they did that at Gamescom, I want to say last year. And I tuned in in a live stream and it was amazing. I listened to it while I was working. It was beautiful to hear like a live performance of that and some, you know, beautiful orchestral singing. To hear that played live would be amazing. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I think I remember exactly what you're talking about because I was I was disappointed that it wasn't gonna be a BlizzCon. <laughs> It should be. If anyone over there is listening, come on, get us some live Blizzard yeah. music. No one's listening. <laughs> they will, but they will. <laughs> yes. And the thing that I was trying to think of was called Video Games Live, because that's a really complicated name that I couldn't remember. It's very difficult. I know. It's It combines video games and the word live. It's... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I've not seen this, but I've heard that it's amazing. I actually think these people come to MAGFest each year. So if you're in the tri-state area, we're just like a marketing machine at this point. If you're in the tri-state area, come to MAGFest <laughs> because it's amazing. It's a 24-hour video game convention. They have like LAN rooms. They do a yearly table flip. They do um, all sorts of music where they have like chiptunes and things like that. It's a good time. And you might be able to meet me. So A, a yearly table flip? What does that mean? So they do a table flip for charity. So you pay your way into this thing, and I think it's probably like five bucks, something minimal like that. And they have this table set up, this plastic table with a tablecloth on it, and they set it all nice for you. Plates, uh, plastic cups, silverware, the works. And you get to flip this table whatever goddamn way you want if you want to fucking drop <laughs> that table that is your prerogative you paid your five dollars and you get that's to do amazing. it and all the proceeds from that are donated to charity that's amazing what a great idea it is fantastic and i'll tell you what flipping a table feels amazing i bet i would like to try that speaking of live wow music speaking of blizzard orchestra speaking of speaking of <laughs> <laughs> when did you officially get into World of Warcraft? Okay, right. Yeah, so sorry. I left off like so uh whatever year the Wii was out, I was in the early mid 20s, um the whole friend falling out thing, a lot of time on my hands. Um I had been meaning to try out World of Warcraft for years because at this point um if I if I took a moment to do the math outside of um of us trying to record a show together here. Um, I, it was the period after which Wrath of the Lich King had begun. Um, so this is not the beginning of WoW. Um, I did not start until Wrath of the Lich King. Um, and the way that I got into it was um, I had uh, two different sets of friends who were both playing, um, one on the Alliance side, one on the Horde side. And so I would hear stories. And this was of interest to me, obviously. And, you know, it just it touched on all a whole bunch of different 
pieces of that nerdy interest from throughout the ages that we've described before. There was the fantasy side, there was the community side, there was the gaming side, and then there was this whole other thing that I I would not have ever even been able to define yet, which is just the world of of an MMORPG. Which I'd had no exposure to at all. So I'd been meaning to try it after hearing all these friends talk about it and asking a billion questions because it was interesting, but just thinking like, oh, I don't I don't really have anything except like this you know, kind of business laptop or whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't have a PC that can game or whatever. I don't know if this is for me, whatever. Excuses, excuses, excuses. I'm in um, Best Buy. I'm buying some, some last minute Christmas presents. And right up at the cashier was the free trial of World of Warcraft on CD. Ooh, there it is. The seed that planted this glorious flower. There it is. So I picked it up. I told my significant other at the time, um, hey, I've been meaning to, you know, you've probably heard me talk about this. I'm interested. I'm going to try it out. And then I never saw her again. No. <laughs> I, um, that, was the, that was definitely the beginnings of trying it out. And then, you know, as soon as I got hooked, I immediately subscribed. And there it is. Well, you started around Wrath of the Lich King. And let me say, let me say this. Of the people that I've interviewed... I don't know. I've got to keep a tally, I think. I've got to start keeping a tally because I think that except for maybe one person, I think the majority of people have entered during Wrath of the Lich King. And I want to know like what their spike in numbers was for that expansion because I started playing around that time as well. And I think they lured a lot of people in with the lore of that particular expansion. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what it was. Um Maybe it was just that, I mean, for me, you know, there was enough of a groundswell of other people talking about it and it had been around long enough that I would hear about it, you know, from a variety of different groups and that sort of thing. Um, it was definitely still, it was definitely still like, I guess the adult version of the, like some of those kind of side groups that we were describing from before, you know, if you're off playing chess or you're off playing magic or you're off playing whatever it was always with like these kind of specific slivers of of society uh, of the society that you're a part of at the time and world of warcraft was very much that for me as an adult if there was nobody around that i could relate to on this and if i ever found out somebody for example i, I found out that this other guy at work played and then that became the like the one thing we only ever talked about <laughs> when I'd run into that guy and we would seek each other out over the same geeky stuff. And I would, you know, I'd print out my, uh, the, the character page of my, of my original warlock and I'd hang it on the wall in my, in my, uh, in my cube, my office cube at the time. Um, you know, and then he'd come by and we'd compare stats and stupid, crazy crap like that. And <laughs> it was great. <laughs> hey, you were finding your community even then. There it is. Well, you do so much in WoW now. Like you have a Blizzard-based podcast, literally, where you just talk about Blizzard games. What was the thing that kept you playing all this time that really hooked you? What are some of those things? The the hands down outright answer, more than anything else, is the community and the people. It's an, it's it's. I make it sound oversimplified. It's but it's an absolute easy answer for me. The game itself is spectacular. You know all, everything that I described about the what I loved about um, Zelda: Twilight Princess. All of those things are here in the World of Warcraft and in Spades. Uh, you know times a million. It, just the 
how many different games is world of warcraft in one right so if you take the actual gameplay and the possibilities of what you can do there's so much if you were to just stop there and play solo there'd be you'd never run out of things to do and then they just keep adding more and they keep uh you know reshaping things to keep it fresh and new um but for me the thing that just the thing that that brings it all together is uh, like I didn't, uh, I I started in a PvP server and I've never left, um, except for a couple of forays into um, some RP servers just to see what that felt like and and kind of experience it. Um, but I I came up on a PvP server. I was never very good at PvP, um, but to me it was more about uh, the the same sense of community that I feel with the guild that I helped build in two thousand nine. That's still going strong to this day and is now a part of the show that we have, which I love um, that those two things are together. That same sense of community is was also uh, I also felt that sense of community with the horde because that was my the side that I chose. Again, I said I had friends who were on the alliance side and the other friends who were on the horde side, and clearly I chose the horde side. Uh, and those alliance friends can suck it. <laughs> So the thing the thing that I love is that you know there's there's so much sense of community and then there was this you know kind of competition part you know the alliance versus horde that's that's built into the whole thing so as you can imagine I that's my favorite part about you know the the battle for Azeroth to come when did you find that community? Because you said when you started out you were just kind of on your own and you had found that one guy at work and. You did the nerdiest thing I've ever heard of where you printed out your character sheet and pinned it up in your cubicle. That's beautiful. That's amazing. <laughs> but when did you find that community? When did it go from just kind of being on your own to founding a guild in 2009? Um, well, I guess, thankfully, I was in a really crappy guild before that. So the I say thankfully because I was in the kind of guild that was so humongous and, and constantly adding new members. Um, but I found myself being one of the few people who was genuinely trying to engage the community, trying to build the community, trying to trying to create something out of the community instead of sheer volume. Whoever was running that guild, I couldn't even tell you what it was called. I have sincere doubts that it's still around um, unless somebody made something of it. But it was just a, a farming guild. It was just, you know, they had one of those um, add-ons running that would just invite every guildless player. And it was huge. Ooh. The people in this guild didn't have anything in common. They didn't, uh, they didn't really help each other out. There was, there was no real sense of being a guild. All, all of the traditional things you expect from a guild, they were pretty much all, all lacking from this. So, you know, if you, you know, I was a brand new player. I was terrible at the game. I was doing things like, uh, thinking that I had to even out all the stats on my character. So I was looking for strength on my warlock because that's a smart thing to do. <laughs> But I couldn't ask any questions in guild chat because anybody who asked a question would get made fun of, like in the old trade oh. chat. So that was my, f not my first, it was one of my first exposures to um, to what it was like to be in a guild, and that was in 2008. And then close to the end of 2008, I got tired of that. I found, and so I, I looked around for the other people in the guild who were cool and who, and who did engage in conversation, who were helpful and nice and that sort of thing. Um, 
and I pull or or even it's not even just about it being nice, right? There's also the you know the people who are kind of cheeky or or kind of dirty and you know because those are my kind of people, right? So I found all those people. There was something like twelve to fifteen of them. Um, I found one of them who had a bunch of gold because I did not, and we went off and made our own guild, and it's called Blood of the Scribe. It's on Boulder Fist US, and all are welcome to this day. And that's something that you reference in your podcast quite a bit. And I want to talk about your podcast. I want to get to that beautiful Bali blizzard <laughs> pile of gold that it is because it is something that is so <laughs> unique and fun because you guys, you and your co-host are, uh, you earn your explicit tag. Let, let's say that. <laughs> you guys are hilarious. You're so funny. And there's just this banter back and forth that I really enjoy when did it become a thing when did you guys go we really got to broadcast this well um it's a product of a couple different things um being inspired by shows like the instance and convert to raid and um and if i'm being fair if those are kind of the pinnacle examples of how to do it right it was also about being inspired by uh the shows who were maybe not doing it wrong but maybe not doing it as well so there you know, I felt like there was a missing piece. They were the shows that were being very professional um, and had a huge following, like the instance in Convert to Raid, um, both of which I absolutely love to this day. But, um, you know, they had a very specific way of doing things and they had very, you know, specific formulas that they would follow and that sort of thing. Um, not that they were stuck in those things um, because they were constantly iterating on that and being creative with it, which was probably my favorite part of both of those shows. Um, but then there were a lot of other people who were trying and there were two things I couldn't get over with the other shows. One, the, the sheer commitment to something that you love. Um, because every single person, even if I, even if I were to, there's no show out there I could, I could name that I hate or anything like that. I don't, I don't have that kind of, I'm not sure that kind of drama even exists <laughs> in the, among the podcasting community and in Blizzard games. But even if there was, there's still a level of respect that you have to give to somebody who puts that much into creating something about something that they love. Yes, absolutely. And the Blizzard podcasting community is nothing if not a welcoming community. Like everyone loves what they're doing. It's all for a shared passion of this game, of this community, of these people, of our big expanded nerdy family. Like you definitely yep. feel that. So you were feeling that and you were inspired by the instance and in convert to raid, which two fantastic shows we all know, beautiful. At what point did you go, okay, well, I would like this as my co-host and this is kind of what we're going to do. Can you tell me a little bit about like the beginnings of the show? Sure. Um, so it was a combination of the inspiration from those other shows and, and about wanting to do it um, ourselves um, and also just realizing that we did have... so. The thing that this and I have in common is we both have a background in theater. So we have um, she she more so than I did. I think she was um, even a theater major in college, where I was I was only a theater minor. Oh. So you know there we had that thing in common. Um, we had our awesome relationship in common, which is just great, and had a, a lot of the seeds of that banter that you were referring to and things like that. Um, we both had. Um, she had a background in radio. And I have a background in marketing. And so, you know, we thought, well, we've got all the tools here. We should do this. It'd be fun. We should try it out, right? Then we sat 
and 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 didn't do it and 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 didn't do it and didn't do it <laughs> so we we recognize this thing that would be fun and that we were both interested in um and that we think we might be okay at uh and then we just you know kept talking about it and kept talking about it and kept doing nothing so the funny thing about it is that what it took was me being invited to be on a different show altogether and so i was invited with some friends to be on a heroes of the storm show that had one episode and then died <laughs> but the but the best thing that ever came of that fledgling failed show was that it kicked us in the butt to get going on our own thing and so as a result um we said all right fine forget all the excuses no we don't have a mic yet you know what we're going to use a, f a freaking headset mic we're going to hold it between us and we're going to record even though it's crappy audio and that was like the thing that bothered us the most about our early days was just the 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 sheer horribleness of the uh, sound quality it really really bothered us this in particular um because she she has the background in radio so of course that bugged her to no end um but you know we don't have a good place to record we don't have the right equipment you know there's there's every excuse under the sun to not do something and when it came down to it and we sat down and we started doing it we realized, look, this is fun. This is something that we both, in as much as there's a lot of work to get this done, we both love doing it so much that that work is not, doesn't even really feel like that much work. You know, after a short amount of time, we started to see some results. I, I'm a marketing guy, so, you know, monitoring analytics and looking for the data behind how things are performing, that's, you know, that's my bread and butter. So, like, I, I, you know, I'm constantly watching the analytics through we, we run our show through soundcloud and i was constantly watching how many listens did we have this week what what did we do that changed um what caused the spike what gave us a bump and so it was a mixture of you know i guess a lot of um innate and embedded skills that we both had that kind of came together in this like perfect harmony of making a successful podcast there's something in there that you mentioned that's a really pivotal moment, a, a, a really good nugget, a really beautiful piece of advice for anyone who's looking to start a creative endeavor. And that is just fucking start. Yep. <laughs> like I talked about this a little bit in last week's episode, and it really is that simple of you just have to start because I sat on this podcast I I want to say for at least a year like I was like oh I really want to do a podcast I love listening to the stuff yada 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 my whole reasoning behind it and at one point I like had printed up this like banner and like done all this other stuff because it was a completely different idea and I just didn't do anything with it. I was like, I don't have the experience. I don't have the mic. I can't do anything. And eventually you just go, no, you have to do it. Like starting is seriously yep. the biggest hurdle. Yeah, it really, really was. Because once we got going, you know, we, we, we kept it going and we forced ourselves. And, you know, neither, neither Thist nor I at that time in our lives, I guess three years ago, it's not that far back. Um, neither one of us had too many things in our lives that were really that consistent. So doing this and then choosing to be consistent about it and realizing that when you're putting out something publicly, people can tell if you're not being consistent. And if you want to be successful at it, 
you have to push through anyway. If you don't feel like doing an episode that week, too bad. Get it done. And, you know, you're going to feel better about it. You're going to feel more complete as a result. Um, And the people who are starting to give a damn about you, even if there's one person out there who gives a damn about you, you're going to make their day by creating something that they're going to have to listen to when they get in the car or whatever. I can attest to that. That's 100% true. And I think even if you are somebody who maybe struggles with doing things consistently, I will say for me personally, I have a hard time doing that just because sometimes I have bad mental health days. Sometimes it's hard, you know, to exist. But you just have to either do something that enables you to be able to do it, like pay an editor. I don't pay an editor, but if I had the funds to pay an editor, I could absolutely be doing way more than I'm doing right now. So there's things that you can do to assist yourself to be more consistent, but I think that is a very important element. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious if there's anything that you've done because of podcasting, like since you started Lagging Balls, that sorry, I can't help it. That name is perfect. It's amazing. A cute little double on <laughs> Um Since you've started the podcast, is there any moment that really stands out to you as a moment that was either really fantastic or very difficult for you? I think there's quite a few of those, actually. Um, The... I think the the first indications that anybody from Blizzard was listening um, was just... I don't know. I get This is going to sound ridiculous, but life-changing. I mean, it's an aspiration of mine... And it's an aspiration of this, it's both to to work at Blizzard, and um, you know, you know, we we were kind of hoping that if we made a successful podcast, that they would notice and to find out that they were listening. And I couldn't tell you at what point that was, um, but we we eventually got some indicators that we thought might be it. But you know, you you, you can't tell, and you don't want to assume anything, and it's kind of the the thing that you hope for so much, and you know, you know so. You're, you're wishing for it to happen and you're hoping to put out something good enough that they'd care about. And um, because if you're passionate enough to talk about this stuff, of course you care if the creators of this stuff are paying attention at all. So um, the first indicators that we got of that, um, which are hard to pinpoint because they're, they're, um, they were less direct, like uh, so-and-so from Blizzard you know, tweeting about listening to our show. That did not happen. It wasn't that sort of thing. It was it was more about hearing about, um, like getting enough context clues, if you will, to, to derive, um, I guess, uh, confidently that yes, they are listening. There's something, there we're, we're, some people who work there are understanding what's happening and they're knowing. And sometimes it came from conversations um, like we we're friends with Taryn Gregory, the the head of cinematics for World of Warcraft, and to say that is like it, that's not like like that's not something where I'm like comfortable throwing out that name because I love that guy, and I am that guy has brought me to tears multiple times with his work and the and the work of his team, and to to see him in our in like one of our Friday streams. Or to go to his stream and have him greet one or both of us by name because he knows who we are and we make these little jokes um, about things that we like in common. Um, those are those are things that to this day still just absolutely tickle me. And 
it, it's it's surreal to even say that you know I, I wouldn't say we're friends I don't I, I I mean I wouldn't say that we're I don't know maybe we are but I I don't know that I'm comfortable saying that you know what I mean because he's still just like anybody from Blizzard's on such a pedestal to me you know yeah absolutely and oh my heart ow that was such a beautiful story I think something that I'm hearing from that, that I think you're not saying directly, but I think I can put some word to, is that feeling of like, when you really love something, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast, but when you really love something and you share it with someone else, and then to get that affirmation back that they love it too, feels so good. Because really, really yeah, I mean, all you're saying is like, hey, I'm sharing a part of myself with you because I love you and I love this thing. And, you know, let me show you how much I love you with this thing. And if you like it, too, maybe you love a part of me. I think that with the podcast, you know, you're going, we love Blizzard. We love everything you guys are doing. We love the community. We love being a part of this big, great, grand thing that is all the people that play and all the podcasts that exist and all the different games and the fandoms and the cosplay and the comic books and the and all the videos and things like that you're just like oh i love it it's a part of me now and you're expressing your love for it yep. by making this silly podcast in your words silly and have the people who create this entire Thing, this entire world that you love and cherish and are sharing your love of it with the rest of the world to have them go, hey, I see that you love us and I love you too. That's going to feel so good. It's insane. It's like, it's so humbling and it's still like to this day, it's still so surreal. And I know it's only, it's only like a handful, you know, but the fact that it's any of them at all just makes me nuts. <laughs> We, Fist and I joke, these are, these are our rock stars. These are our celebrities, you know? And um, the fact that I can have a conversation with Randy Jordan ever is just, to me, is just like, uh, you know, Fist is like friends with Coltrane and like, the, and like hangs out with Pat all the time. Pat Crane, I just like, these are things that are like insane to me. Things I never thought I'd be saying. Um, and it's so funny because you step outside of this world and none of those names would mean anything to anybody. But to us, they're just, they're everything you know? Yeah, I do know. And I think that's the beauty. That's the beauty of the community. And I think that's a central theme that's starting to come out through doing this podcast is the feeling of community that we all get. Because it's like World of Warcraft is this giant immense thing. People from all over our world play it. And it's literally this like multinational huge thing, but it is bringing everyone together. And creating this community podcast that also brings everyone and their love together for it it just feels it feels massive it feels it feels amazing and then to be seen and to meet these people that like you idolized that's cool as fuck hell yeah and you know what the the best part about it is it's um <clears throat> i found in a earlier this year um end of february i was in las vegas for a work event and while I was there, there are a couple of people from our guild um, and who are also fans of the show who are in the area and we made plans to meet up. And the funny thing was, um, you know, we're adults, so we're sitting at a bar and uh, it's in a Las Vegas hotel on the strip and we're talking about guild things, 
you know, this, this guy in our guild, really good guy. Um, you know, it was the first time he and I had met. We didn't even know what each other looked like. We had to kind of do that awkward thing where you like, you're like, Thorn? You're like, oh, hi, hey, hey, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> because it's IRL and we don't look like our avatars, right? So um, we we met, we sat at the bar, we started talking about WoW, we started talking about the guild, the show, all these things. His background um, and the, the guilds that he used to be, uh, that he used to run or be an officer and all these great things that you have in common and all these, and all these segments of the world that you can relate to um on these different levels too um and then this dude is right next to me on the other side of me and he's drunk as hell like falling off the stool drunk um but i had mentioned overwatch he's like oh you say overwatch like i could barely understand what you're saying and uh i was like yeah yeah and he, i was like you play he's like hell yeah ah. and i was like what do you what's your main he's like bastion i was like fuck you <laughs> that is amazing i mean and he was he was tanking those beers apparently yeah <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't say fuck you but i did uh you know we we joked and it was like you know i was like oh yeah it just you know i'm sitting here um with one of my guildmates he's like guildmates what from like from like warcraft i was like yeah 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 why do you play that too and he's like no because i'm not uh because I'm, I'm not in middle school anymore and i was like all right fuck you for real now <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was hilarious because then you know here I am with this guildmate, and now you know Vic and I are laughing about the drunkenness factor of this guy. And then he would eventually, like, from time to time, pipe in about something that made no sense because he's drunk as hell. And so you know, now there's this real life experience centered around this in-game thing that we have as a relationship, where the community extends out into the real world. And it's that's the funny thing about all of this. And and I guess one of the beautiful things about all of this is people who are outside of this who don't understand the experience. Um, and you know may go so far as to maybe even mock the experience um the biggest thing that they're missing out on that they'll unfortunately probably never understand is that the games are a wonderful amazing thing but the best and most magical piece of these games is the is the ways in which they bring us together that is a beautiful mr rogers neighborhood kind of closing statement right there i love it <laughs> no, I do, because I think you're right. I've never had a community like the one I had after I started playing World of Warcraft. That's true. There's just, you know, from everything from the, the TMI personal stories to the <laughs> drunken drunken raiding to, the, you know, everything in between. It's all, there's so many great things and there's so many, so many people behind all of this that um, are really where all the magic happens. When I think it is this base understanding right because we're all here because of this specific game or this specific franchise like even across games just part of a general blizzard community it's this base understanding of like i'm really passionate about this thing and so are you and so we share this like base humanity like i think that we all understand on some level that we're all human beings we all share something in common I think we know that on a very unconscious level, but then having yeah. something to solidify that, like external factors that validate that, like, yeah, hey, we're all people who just want to be loved. I think that things like video games help do that. People who are really into movies, it helps do that. So we're all here on the basis of like, hey, we're just people who need to be loved. We love this thing and let's hang out. And I think that 
coming together like that. That's what makes something like BlizzCon so beautiful. You're meeting people who only exist as like an undead like bat to you. <laughs> in real life and they have arms and legs and an entire life and an entire backstory that you never knew about and that's so fucking cool right and you and you see these like these bodies in the real world and they run up and give you a big hug and you're like this is is this weird and then they talk and you know that voice so well from spending hours together <laughs> you're like i know this person this, what you have a body <laughs> I know it's crazy. It is the it almost feels a bit like a roller coaster when you meet someone in person that you spend literally like hours a night, several nights a week doing something together, like accomplishing things, working hard and putting energy into like beating heroic and like you know like doing uh like a M15 plus dungeon together and then you're like Oh man, okay, well, I guess I'll see you on Tuesday in California. Yep. And then you go and you meet this person <laughs> and it's just this moment of like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And that's the best thing is I, I know so many people who have gone to BlizzCon who, uh, you know, may have outright real, actual, you know, adult issues with, you know, just being social or connecting with people or whatever. And this is like the one place where, you know, all of that goes away and they just get to feel normal, you know? Yeah. Thank you, Blizzard. Thank you, Blizzard. <laughs> Let's all take a moment and thank Blizzard. <sighs> oh. <laughs> well, we are running out of time we're running up against our time limit i asked for two hours of your time and we're oh getting close there i want to ask you a closing question because i'm starting to do this thing i'm flushing out segments you know we're a handful of episodes in and i'm wanting to do at the very end a what if question a creative question a if would Warcraft was inhabited by aliens, what would it be like? Oh, wait, that's the Draenei, isn't it? <laughs> 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 so let me ask you one of those questions. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bifa, or BFA, or Battle for Azeroth is coming up, and with it is coming four new playable races. But if you were to create a race or make an existing race playable, what would it be? Oh, oh, that is a good one. Okay. Um, all right. So like I, oh, all right. So I've been back and forth on this question because this is what us nerds do, right? We, we think of these things. <laughs> so, I'm so glad you asked this. Um, but I, I gotta say, I can't get away from Murloc. I just, I, I, they're so like, I feel like they're so beloved. I feel like there's such a, an intrinsic part of this world that I feel like it's almost wrong that they're not a playable race yet. And you get to play it throughout Legion. You get to be murky. Right, right. They even hint at it. And can you imagine customizing like your fin shape or like your scale color? <laughs> your like eye color. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Like, like which parts of you flap the most? I don't know. There's so many great things. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. And like your weapon would be like a spear, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that so much. So like, what kind of dance do you think a Murloc would have? I would say they would either whip or they would nae Oh, possibly that's a both. hard choice. <laughs> and I like, maybe it would be like pandas where it's like both factions can use it, but no matter what faction it is, the only language that they can speak is Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Thorne, for coming on. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me. This is, I mean, what's a more interesting topic to me than me? So thank you. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone listening will want to check more of you out. So let us know where we can find you. Oh, okay. So um, you'll want to search the world la- the word the words lagging balls on Google. Avoid the image search, and just go with whatever else you find because that's one of the reasons we we chose the name. Honestly, is there's there was nothing else using it. So um, you can find us on twitter at lagging balls you can find us on soundcloud at lagging balls where we host the show um you can find us at laggingballs.com um you can find fist on twitter at fist zero three i'm on twitter as at thornbrow um and uh everywhere else uh, at lagging balls thank you so much lauren thank you anna bye bye hey guys if you liked that episode with thorn it would really help this podcast out and help me out if you would rate and review the show on itunes it really helps me get seen and maybe one day i can have sponsorships and even like you know help pay for an editor for the show like that would be a really big deal for me so i would appreciate it if you guys did that and just a heads up next week i'm going to be on vacation so i'm going to have a special episode that I'm going to record from vacation and I think I'm just going to do a stream of consciousness, kind of talk about my beginnings with nerdery and geekery and what led me to doing this podcast. If that's something that sounds interesting to you, let me know. Send me a shout out at General Chat Pod. All right, that's it. Bye. (laughs)